Okay. Yes. Uh, it, it, the operation will be a hip replacement, and uh, it is a pretty. Uh, it's it's uh, quite entailed and quite involved. And it's, uh, but we uh, we trust the Lord and. We appreciate your prayers and thank you so much for your love and all your support. And one good thing is you won't see me limping anymore. I'm sure that's, you know, that's uh, the Jacob syndrome is over. You know, they, uh, no more limps. I want to welcome all of you. So glad that you're with us today. Now, I just want to premise everything. It's, it's unbelievable how the Lord leads. Today we had a baby dedication. All, most of you know, if not all of you, I'm doing a series on modern day Joseph's and I'm going chapter by chapter. And today's chapter deals with the family, with children, mothers and fathers. It's unbelievable, and, and what I have to say, it's just so apropos on so many different levels, and so I give God the praise. My text is found this morning in Genesis 46, Genesis 46. Begin at verse 26. All the souls that came with Jacob into Egypt, which came out of his loins, besides Jacob's sons, wives, and all souls, were three score and six. That equals 70. And the sons of Joseph, which were born in him in Egypt, were two souls, and the souls of the house of Jacob, which came into Egypt, were threescore and ten. And he sent Judah before him unto Joseph to direct his face unto Goshen. Please underscore this place called Goshen. Very significant, very important. And they came into the land of Goshen. And Joseph made ready his chariot and went up to meet Israel there. Israel is Jacob, his father to Goshen, and presented himself unto him. And he fell on his neck and wept on his neck a good while. And Israel said unto Joseph, Now let me die, since I have seen thy face, because thou art yet alive. And Joseph said to his brothers and unto his father's house, I will go up and show Pharaoh and say unto him, My brethren and my father's house, which were in the land of Canaan, are come unto me. And when the men are shepherds, for their trade hath been to feed cattle, they brought their flocks and their herds and all that they have. And it shall come to pass when Pharaoh shall call you and shall say, What is your job? What is your occupation? You shall say, thy servant's trade hath been about cattle from our youth until now. In other words, shepherds, both we and also our fathers, that ye may dwell in the land of Goshen. There's Goshen again. For every shepherd is an abomination unto the Egyptians. Abomination unto the Egyptians. We have one of the most fascinating stories as we are looking into the life of Joseph and his family have entitled this, this message, the, th the thing that you can never replace. What is this thing that can never be replaced? 
all of us can make choices and can do certain things in our lives we make decisions everything but there's one one thing you cannot even decide upon one thing that is given to you and that is your family the thing that can never be replaced is your family I want to talk about the family this morning and how important the family is now I've read I've read a brief text but my text really is four chapters and we're going to look into that in a few moments and it's a long text if you will and I thought about that and I said yeah yeah I'm going, I'm going to read it because for some of you you haven't read your Bible in months so I figured I might as well go for a long text today uh, I might as well but here we are and before we understand what's really going on I want to paint you a picture this picture I'm about to paint you is so important it will help you understand what is really going on in the text that we have just read the backdrop is the key now we all know that God had chosen Joseph for something significant Joseph never knew what his call was he just went through life and Joseph has been through a long journey and this is very important for us to understand friends because life is a journey we're all running a race and what we experience during the journey is very important we don't like the journey we want to get there we don't want to go through anything but all of us have to go through things to get to the place that God wants us to be in other words we all have destiny in other words God has given us certain destinies given us a plan in fact the Bible says I have a plan for you God has a specific plan for all of us and to give you an expected end to give you destiny to give you hope and we need to get to this place of destiny but before we get to this place of destiny there's this journey and what takes place in the journey that we have is so important and will determine your destiny and so Joseph went through several trials in his life Joseph went through one experience through another one experience of pain one experience of, of calamity to the next one we all know he ended up in a pit his brothers sold him his brothers hated him his brothers were jealous of him his brothers were envious of him because, because the father loved him his father Jacob loved him gave him a coat of many colors his brothers didn't like the fact that father gave him a coat and they wanted to kill him and they threw him into a pit Joseph hasn't done anything wrong sometimes people will throw you under the bus but you've done absolutely nothing wrong it's only because you're, they're envious of you they're jealous of you Joseph is thrown into a pit and from the pit as he cries out these Ishmaelites, these Egyptians come across him and, and the brothers sell Joseph they're selling their brother for money how low do you want to get? they're selling their brother for money they end up he ends up in Egypt and that's very important it was God's will for Joseph to go to Egypt Joseph didn't understand it Joseph couldn't comprehend it can you imagine if someone had compassion and rescued Joseph out of the pit he would have never ended up in Egypt you know sometimes we we want to help people and so we try to get them out of the pit but in doing so we hinder what God wants because if it wasn't for the pit he would have never ended up in Egypt and that was God's will for his life but he ends up in a prison and you say oh my goodness it's going to get worse and worse and it does sometimes before things get better they must get worse and he ends up in a prison 
And you cannot say that this is God's will for me to be in a prison. It was absolutely God's will for him to be in a prison. Some things are never learned unless you go through the prison. Some things are never experienced unless you go through the prison. And so now he's in the prison and his ministry begins to manifest. He interprets a dream and, and Joseph's reputation is starting to spread. And, 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 and the butler tells, tells Pharaoh who has a dream that no one was able to interpret. He has a dream. Nobody can interpret and the butler the butler says wait a minute Pharaoh I know someone who interprets dreams and his name is Joseph but he's in the prison get him out of the prison and he ends up in the palace he interprets Pharaoh's dream Pharaoh is so impressed he makes him the prime minister of Egypt you see it was God's will for Joseph to end up in the palace in Egypt to be the prime minister because when he's the prime minister he was going to do something that would save the world and save his own family but Joseph had no idea he had no understanding what God was going to do sometimes when God is in the process of working in our lives we don't understand what God's going to do we don't comprehend the end we just go through the journey we go through this process but we don't like process and we say to ourselves in our process where is God because usually when it comes to process there's always pain usually when it comes to process there's always trials and tribulations that's what gets you to the palace there's no palace without a prison or a pit but we don't like the process and I've been talking a lot about process process is the key in knowing God and ending up in your destiny if there's no process you'll never get there we don't like process because it takes pain but God says he says it very clearly he that's begun a good work in you shall complete it how through a process when until the coming of the Lord in other words friends we are in process for most of our lives we go through God's university and it's usually the desert university you know where you suffer and you grow and you go from one level to the next but it's a process because we learn as we suffer and so the problem today is we don't preach process you go to some of our churches we don't want to talk about suffering we don't want to talk about trials so we we want to talk about God's promises so we we preach promises at the expense of process and that's a huge problem and that's what the prosperity gospel teaches this false gospel that only talks about the promises of God that only wants to talk to you about about the palace but doesn't want to talk about the prison they don't want to talk about the pits and they leave out they just talk about the palace they talk about God's promises that he will heal you and that he will bless you and that he will sustain you and all that's true but before you can experience all that you've got to go through some kind of process and we don't want to talk about process but I'll tell you something process is the key and I will argue that God is more in the process than he is even in the promise and so we go to church Sunday morning and we hear a message yes God is able and God will and he's victorious and all that's true and he will give you the victory and all that's true but then we go home after church back to work Monday morning your job hate you 
is killing you. Your, your boss wants to fire you. Your children are, are, are going astray and you're dealing with all this pain. You're dealing with the process. You're dealing with the process and you're scratching your head and you're saying, wait a minute. I found out in church that God is a God of promise and that God is going to, and then, and then, and then you realize, wait a minute, I'm not, I'm not going through this. I, I'm not experiencing what, what I heard on Sunday morning. Something's wrong. And we question and we say, well, where's God? Where's God? I'm in this process. I'm in this grind. Where's God? Where's God? I don't understand. We don't understand because we think that somehow the promise of God will scratch out and remove any kind of process. And that's the absolute error of the preaching of today my friends the Bible is filled with children of God men of God who've suffered and gone through one experience after another David went through one painful experience after another Joseph and the list goes on and on and you see you see if it wasn't for these experiences they would have never been the men of God that they are and we would never be talking about them but do you think it's easy and you think you grasp onto the promises while you're going through the furnaces and the pits. It's very hard to grasp the truth that it's not over yet. It's hard to grasp the truth that God is working something out because you don't feel like it. You don't see it. You don't feel it. It's, you're just going through one pain after another. And you're saying in all of your pain, as David said, Where are you, God? Why art thou disquieted in me? Why am I going through all this hopelessness? Because we don't understand process. Things in life can never be learned without pits and without prison. And let me say to you, my friend, that God is more concerned about your character and your life than blessing you in some high position. He cares about how you live. He cares about your lifestyle. He really does. He cares more about you being a true man of God, a true woman of God, than holding some scepter and declaring that I am the king. Process. Revelation of God's goodness is always seen in process. Revealed in process. You never get a revelation of God when you're at, on the mountaintop, my friend. You always get a revelation of God when you're in the valley. But today we've twisted everything and we've made God's word some kind of, of, of a false turning God into some cosmic bellhop, turning God into some cosmic Santa Claus, always blessing you and giving you, and you're this and you're that, and we don't, I mean, it just doesn't seem to make sense when you look into the scriptures. We've turned the church into a marketplace, as Jesus said, a place of entertainment. 
people are inviting people come to our church and you can hear them come to our church because why because we have the best programs we have we have the best gyms and we have a great lounge and you should see our lights and we got the latest technology and you should see the carpets and you should see the building and you should see all the great things we have in our church you know, we're at the state of the art we're, we're just you should see what's going on in our church a wonderful cafeteria a you should see our lounge it's like the music all oh, the seats you can't it's unbelievable we are selling the gospel like some product like some merchandise but we need to say come to our church because we have God's presence come to our church because the word of God is preached come to our church because because God is healing God is delivering people are getting saved come and see his power come and sense his glory yeah 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 I, I don't want to know about about your gymnasium I don't care about how nice your lights are how beautiful the carpet is who cares that's not why I go to church I'll come to church to hear the drummer or the keyboard as good as they might be and God bless them but that's not why I come to church I don't come to church because the pews are padded or because we got nice coffee after church or because because we got great lunches we got great programs that's not why I go to church I go to church because if I'm in process and I'm going through a hard time I need to have a word from God I need to know his word what is God saying? What is God doing? I need his presence in my life, but no, but no, we've turned his house into a marketplace of entertainment. Jesus said, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you've turned it into a den of thieves. My God. And so Joseph went from the pit to the prison and ultimately to the palace but it took years and sometimes friends when we go through trials and it takes a long time we think it's never going to end and so we get lost in the other side of the coin is we get lost in the process we get lost in our pain and we begin to fade away we start to doubt God's promises we start to doubt God's goodness but it was God who arranged everything in Joseph's life every pit was arranged by God not the devil you know the devil gets too much credit by the way I'm gonna tell you straight up if you're a child of God yeah, the devil wants to destroy you but God is still in control and if you're in a pit stop blaming the devil and start looking to God and start asking him God why am I in this pit I need, do I need to learn something through this pit am I just gonna justify my pit and say well the devil did it well, what do you mean the devil did it what do you learn by that? I can learn a lot more if God allowed it. Maybe there's something for me to see here. God arranged it. The Bible says he will direct you and he will guide you by his eye. That the steps of a righteous man are ordered by the Lord. He allowed it. He allowed the pit, the prisons. And they all have purpose. They all have purpose. You see, here's my other P. Yeah, we talked about process. But you see, process for it to be process must have a purpose there's always a purpose in the process I'll give you five P's the pits the prisons and the palace all have purpose 
There's purpose. There's a plan. There's a design. God is an architect. He's doing something behind the scenes that you may not see. But you see, there's purpose. Do you remember God caused a famine to take place in Cana? It was the famine that brought Jacob where? The famine brought Jacob where? To Egypt. Why would God bring someone to Egypt? Well, Joseph's there. Why did God allow a pit to take place? Because Joseph had to meet the Ishmaelites and bring them to Egypt. I just started, and then he ends up in the prison so he can interpret a dream so that Pharaoh can hear about it. Purpose! Destiny! God orchestrating things behind the scenes. And you've heard me say this a lot lately. God is an ambidextrous God. I'm going to keep saying it until it really sets in. He's as powerful with his left hand as he is with his right hand. How many are truly ambidextrous? There's nobody that is truly ambidextrous. You can be good with both hands, but nobody can write equally well with both hands. Impossible. It's impossible. You can write well, but not equally well. Only God is ambidextrous. He equally works well with both hands. His left hand behind the scenes while you're in the process and his right hand when he delivers you into the palace where his glory is seen both working together Joseph could have been the author of Romans chapter 8 verse 28 what does Romans 8 28 say all things work together for what for good those that are called for prayer. all things all things every pit every prison every famine God caused a famine and brought Jacob the father of Joseph into Egypt where they needed to be because there Joseph was going to meet his family his family have been in dysfunction for years his family have been in discord for years it's been about 20 years Joseph hasn't seen his brothers they sold him as a, as a slave into Egypt and his brothers after they did that went on their merry way but you see it was God's destiny and purpose to cause the family to come together because God loves the family he wanted the family to come together so what did God do God sent a famine not the devil oh well you know I'm struggling it must be the devil no my friends it could be but even if it was God still allowed it because he has some purpose that you need to experience and the famine caused Jacob to send his sons to meet the prime minister of Egypt who they never thought in a zillion years would be his brother Joseph and we know the story they come to Egypt and they meet Joseph they had no idea who he was. They end up in a room and Joseph begins to test them and just to see if their hearts have changed. And, and finally, 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 after all the series of tests, Joseph felt that this was the right time to reveal who he was. Judah stood up and defended his brother Benjamin. And when Joseph saw that Judah stood for Benjamin, was willing to risk his life for Benjamin, he knew that something had happened. He knew that even his brothers changed. And then all of a sudden, Joseph talks to his servants and he speaks in Egyptian and he tells his servants, Get out of the room. Get out. He speaks in Egyptian. 
and he turns to his brothers, tears streaming down his face. And he looks at his brothers. And all of a sudden, the language changes from Egyptian to Hebrew. And he speaks in Hebrew and he says, Brothers, it is me, Joseph. What? <laughs> Who? And he falls on their necks, the Bible says, and he weeps. He weeps. God had purpose. He wanted the family to be reunited because brothers and sisters, if the family was not reunited and reconciled, there would never be an Israel. The nation of Israel would have never been born. And it started with the family. Family is so important. Family is the fabric of our nation. Family is the fabric of the church. Family. And when you look at scriptures, you see how God is concerned with the family. We see in the Bible, right here in our text, I didn't get a chance to read it, but if you notice in chapter 46, we look at verse number 9, God begins talking about the family pedigree, the family tree, and the sons of Reuben, and we see the sons of Simeon, these are the children of, of Jacob, the sons of Levi, the sons of Judah, and he goes on, the, the sons of Issachar, Zebulun, Gad, Asher, these are his children. Then when you go to chapter 49, we see a continuation. He gives a prophetic word about what's going to happen to the children. Judah, thou art whom the brethren shall praise. Judah, thou is a lion's whelp. He goes on to explain who's, what would happen with Judah. They talk about Zebulun in verse 13, Issachar in verse 14, Dan in verse 17, and the list goes on and on. All these details about the family. We see genealogies. When I read the genealogies, most people go by the genealogy I read the genealogies and I weep and I'll tell you why I weep because I see God's prophetic hand especially when you read the genealogies of Jesus in Matthew 1 who do we see in Jesus' family tree Tamar the prostitute we see we see Rachel the, the, the Amalekite we see Ruth the Moabite we see all these Gentiles these, God turned their lives around and I get blessed when I see the genealogies and I see that Jesus' tree were not just, just PhD theologians or, or Pharisees or, or all these holy holies. These were people who suffered and they went through hell in their lives and God turned them around. My God, we serve a great God just as he turned the life around of Judah, just like he turned the life around of, yes, Jacob the patriarch Jacob whose name was Israel for 40 years ran from God we serve a great God my friend a merciful God a forgiving loving God you see God kept track of all the details he sees the family. He loves the family. He knows everything that's going on in the family. He knows everything about you, my friend. He has numbered the very hairs on your head and he knows you by name and he knows where your family is and he knows your family's name. Where are you, Gideon, and where are you from? I am from the tribe that is the least of all tribes, Manasseh. God knows that. He knows where you're from and he sees who you are. And Joseph, the Bible tells us, had tremendous respect and love 
for his family. Whether he was young or old, it makes no difference. And there are so many life lessons that we are going to learn through this example. But today we see the opposite, friends. What do we see today in the family? We see disrespect. What do we see today in the family? Rebellion. And the Bible says in, Pro, in, in, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2, 1 and 2, it says in the last days, one of the signs of the signs of the age in which we live in, do you know what one of the signs are? Disobedience in the home. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to their parents, and unthankful. We see that today. There are more, there's more disobedience in homes today than ever before. Rebellion. Children who do not want to submit under authority. In schools. It's, we are living in a generation of disrespect, a generation of disobedience, and a generation where there's been a, the highest level of, 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 of rebellion from children within the homes of their parents. These are statistics. I'm giving you facts. Today, Respect for the family is not what it used to be. Today, we see the very opposite. Disobedience. And I tell you why. Because men's hearts are getting colder and colder. That's what Jesus said. This generation is the most disrespectful generation of all times. And I want to share some principles this morning about this. I want to talk about the family. I want to talk about the importance of the family. And I want to talk about the family through God's eyes, not my eyes. What does God have to say about the family? Your family, my friend. That's right. What does God have to say about your family? First thing we see about Joseph, and Joseph is the key to all this. I'm going to give you some principles that begin with P. So if you're taking notes, I'll make it easy for you. Number one, Joseph was in a position of caring for his father. Of course he was. Because Joseph had been in process for so long. God was developing Joseph to one day be the prime minister of Egypt. And it took years of process. And now God had him in a position to be able to bless his family. If you notice in verse 29 and 30, we see that when Joseph met his father, a great reunion after all these years, he fell on his neck and he began to weep. He cried out. We see this in Genesis 45, 14 as well. He constantly cried. He saw his father and he wept after all these years. He saw his brother Benjamin and he wept. Joseph was an emotional man because he loved his family and he missed them. God put it in his heart. He, didn't, he could have been rebellious. Did you just see what my brothers did to me? I don't give a hoot about them. My father didn't care. It seemed after all these years he didn't come looking after me. He could have been bitter. He could have hated his brothers. But he didn't because God was working in him. You see, God was doing everything that he needed to do in the life of Joseph while he was suffering, while he was going through his painful experiences, while he was going through the pits and the prisons. God was working in Joseph so that when he faces them, he'll be able to face them the way God wanted to face. He wanted to bless his father. He wanted to bless his family. And he weeps. We see this in 
Genesis 45, 14 as well. And you know, emotions for men in the Middle East was really looked down upon. Men in the Middle East, especially during those days, were not to show emotion. And of course, that extended to today. Uh, you know, my parents are from Europe. Actually, my parents were born in Egypt, actually. But we're Greeks, and, and we, our family, most of them were from Greece. And, you know, as men, we were, we're not supposed to show emotion. And I, 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 and I have, have a lot of Italian in me as well. And uh, I can assure you, Italian men are the same. European men are very, are very much like that. They, I'm not gonna cry. I'm not gonna. That's a sign of weakness. That's for women. That's for women. That's not for men. Men, men are not to show emotion. They're not supposed to cry. Not. But Joseph wept a lot. David wept a lot. Remember the prodigal son, the father, when he saw his son after all those years, he, he wept. He was so happy to see his son come back. And so we see that Joseph cared for his father. He cared for his family. That God put him in a position. There might be a, a situation, friends, where God will put you in a position, sir, to bless your family. Uh, where God will put you in a position to honor your family, to bless your family. I believe God's put me in a position to bless my family. God can put you in a position to bless your family. But you see, God wants you to bless your family. Your family is so important. Next to God, there's nothing more important than your family. And Joseph had absolute respect for his father and his mother and brothers. He loved his mother. She died, but loved his mother. Joseph was a respectful man. Number two. Not only was he in a position to bless his family, my next P, Joseph was proud of his father. That, uh, it touches me because I was proud of my dad. I really was. I, I really loved my dad. And Joseph loved his father despite the fact that he hasn't seen him for years. Joseph didn't see his dad for years. Again, he could have been bitter. So many different levels. Notice what Joseph does. He's so proud of his father. Verse 31 of chapter 46. Look what happens. In verse 31 of chapter 46. And Joseph said to the brethren. And to his father's house. I will go up and show Pharaoh. And say to him. My brethren and my father's house. Were in the land. He says I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk to Pharaoh. About my father and family. I'm proud of my father. But now wait a minute. I got I to pause here. You can't go to Pharaoh, Joseph, and talk about a Hebrew who's a shepherd. And you can't tell him how proud you are of a shepherd. Just a bit of culture, a bit of a background. The Egyptians despised shepherds. If you were a shepherd, you were considered lowest of the lows. They, I was watching a documentary, they have made discoveries in Egypt, archaeologists, they found manuscripts and pottery that, that show shepherds as, as worse than animals. They didn't respect them. And Joseph now is going to go before Pharaoh and present his father, this shepherd, to the king? Why? Because he loved his father. Didn't matter what he did. Oh, there's a life lesson there, my friend. Sometimes we find security in what 
people do or what I do, Joseph couldn't care less. He loved his father and that was enough. It didn't matter. Joseph brings his shepherd father to meet the king with dignity. Wow. See, Joseph, this is for free. A life, life, ready for a life lesson? Here's a life lesson. Joseph was a good father, tremendous father. I'll tell you why. Because he was a good son. If you're a good son, I don't promise many things, but I'll promise this. You'll be a good father. Just like for the ladies. If you're a good daughter, you'll be a good mother. Can I say that again? If you're a good daughter, you'll be a good mother. I'll I can tell what kind of mother you're going to be, ma'am, by what kind of daughter you are. Sir, same with you. You talk bad about your father. You talk bad about your family. You're not, you're not going to be a good father. Joseph loved his father and he loved his brothers who hated him. Wow. In chapter 47, verses 8 and 9, Pharaoh asks a very important question. Oh, we're going to go deeper this morning. You got to hold on to your hats. Because we're going we're to deal with a lot of stuff. And Pharaoh said to Jacob, and finally he meets Jacob. How old are you, sir? You know, your, your son's talked to me about you. And Jacob said unto Pharaoh, Oh, the days of my years, my pilgrim, my journey, there it is. Oh, friends, there it is. My process, my, the process, my pilgrimage, the process are 130 years. Phew, I lived 130 years. But they, they've been tough years, few and evil. I've suffered a lot in this process. I, I, I went through a lot of pain. Few and evil. Few and evil. It's been a tough life. Why has it been a tough life, Jacob? I lost my son. I thought my son was eaten alive by animals. That's what my sons told me about you, Joseph. I lost my beloved wife, Rachel. I suffered for 40 years under the tyranny of my brother Esau. However, after 40 years of hell, one day I went on my knees at the brook of Paneo and I cried out to God. And that's when God touched me and changed my life. But it took a long time. Sometimes, my friends, it would take a long time, but if you can hold on and trust God, because God's promises are yes and amen, and His delays are not His denials. But hold on! while you're in the process there's that magic word if I can use the word magic there's that word process pilgrimage process pilgrimage process and so we see that Joseph was in a position God placed him to bless his family number two Joseph was proud of his family number three Joseph loved his family he was protected protective of his family he didn't knock his family down he didn't talk against his family he didn't yell against it he protected his family how do I know he protected his family oh we see it so clearly here we see it so visibly here we notice what Joseph does in chapter 46 28 Joseph brings his family to the best land there was in Goshen and this becomes very significant let's read it together chapter 46 verse 28 look what happens 
And he sent Judah before him unto Joseph to direct his face to Goshen. And they came to the land of Goshen. The land of Goshen. Joseph blessed them. He met their needs and he brought them to the best part of Egypt. Very significant place, Goshen. Goshen. He brought them to the best place he can possibly bring them. Joseph was concerned about their well-being, concerned about where they're going to live. Every good father is concerned where their children are going to live. Every good sibling is concerned about where you're going to be, where you're going to live. Joseph wanted to make sure they had a good place to live. Brings them to Goshen. Goshen. What is it about Goshen? Very significant Goshen. Very, very significant. First of all, Goshen was located east of the Nile. Very important. And the reason is, there's a strategy. What was the strategy? Well, they can cross over into the promised land easier. But number one, number one, the Egyptians were idolaters. You see how God's process, God's working behind the scenes. The Egyptians were, they worship idol gods. If, if Goshen was near where Egypt would worship. You see, Goshen was far away from all the activity they weren't very close to the heart of Egyptian life and in a sense Joseph protected them so they will not amalgamate and become idolaters because because Joseph's family they were easily influenced and they could have ended up worshiping Egyptian gods so so in the strategic mindset of God who's working behind the scenes with his left hand where you can't see it and with his right hand where you can see it he places them in Goshen there you're going to be protected against idolatry but number two there's another reason there's three of them in all number two not only did he want to protect them, but he, but remember the Egyptians hated shepherds they would kill shepherds and if the Egyptians were too close to the Hebrews they somebody might rise up and say we want to get rid of this filth and so they had to be far away and so in God's strategic mind with his left hand where nobody can see it he placed them further away so that they wouldn't be murdered Ah, but then number three, and maybe this is the most important. Goshen was the closest point to Cana, the promised land. And it would be easier to cross over, but, but here it is. What does Goshen mean? Oh, I love this. Don't you love the word of God? It, I, 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 I just love the word of God because it's so real and powerful. The word Goshen means to draw near. So what is God's strategy? They didn't see it. I'm going to bring them to Goshen because the name of Goshen has a spiritual significance. You see, God wanted Joseph and the family to draw near. But also to draw near to God. Do you see it? Goshen means to draw near. This was God's will from the beginning. This was God's will when his brothers sold him into a pit to bring him to Goshen. And it took over 23 years for that to happen. Wow. Goshen. God wanted them to experience a Goshen. But you think they saw it while they were in hell? You think they saw it when they were suffering and hurting? Absolutely not. Joseph was protective of them. Number four, my next P. Also, Joseph gives of his possessions to his brothers. Notice Genesis 47, 11. Genesis 47, 11. I want you to see something here. 
47.11 tells us, and Joseph placed his father and his brethren and gave them possessions. He blessed them with possessions. Joseph is a picture of the father's blessing. He gave them. God wants to, look friends, we just talked about the promise. I'll give you one promise. We talked about promises and the process, but I'll tell you, God does want to bless you. My God shall supply all your needs. God does want to meet your needs. That you can be sure of. Philippians 4.9, then there's, look what it says in Psalm chapter 34, verse 10. One, an incredible, the young lions, we'll look at verse 9, we can go to verse 9 first. Oh, fear the Lord, ye saints, for there is no want. Did you hear that? There's no need. If you fear God, there's the key. You have reverence for God and you put him first in your life. You will never, I repeat, Never be in want. Oh, pastor, are you serious? Yeah, that's a promise. I told you there's a process, though. I had to learn that, the process. I learned that when I was making $10,000 a year and I just got married. I learned that when I had three children and I was offered a $200 a week job. $200 a week! I learned that. I never was in need even with $200 a week. Not because I'm so good, or because I got this, or I'm so smart. What? It's because God gave me favor. God blessed me. I don't deserve anything, but God blessed me. You know why? Because I fear God. That's it. Look at verse 10. Look at verse 10 of chapter. The young lions do lack and they suffer hunger, but they that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. There's your promise. But remember, there's a process. Some of you say amen to that, but you'll never experience until you go through the pits. Are y'all with me? Are y'all with me this morning? But that's the truth. I lived through it. I can declare that that is true. All these years, never once have I had a need of anything. Can you just think about that? I've been in ministry a long time. Ministers don't get paid much. Let that marinate for a little while. Because this is serious stuff. Possessions. Number five. Joseph also brought provision. Notice verse 12. He brought provision. Notice verse 12 of chapter 47. And Joseph nourished his father and his brothers and all his father's household with bread according to their family. Joseph provided. He provided provision. Where there is vision, there'll be provision. Where he leads, he feeds. You should know that by now. I've said it every sermon. Let's do it again. Where there's vision, where he leads, what's the key word? He. God. Not you. Oh, you know, I, I'm doing well because, uh, you know, I studied and I, uh, I've got a great education. Now that helped. Well, you know, Pastor, I, I got all I got because I worked hard. Oh, that helped. Got to work hard. But let me tell you something, my friend. 
if it wasn't for God's favor, what really sets you apart? You know how many guys got PhDs who got no jobs? You know how many guys who've studied for years don't work? Oh, don't shout me down because I know this is good stuff. Because it's true. It's true. Provision was given by God. He provided. Seek ye what? Matthew 6.33. Let's go, let's go. Seek ye what? Seek ye second? Seek ye third? Well, pastor, I've tried. It doesn't work. I beg to differ. Have you really sought God first? Well, yes, I have. Oh, really? What do you do when you first get up in the morning? Well, what do you do when you get home? When was the last time you read your Bible? Oh, let me see. Hold on a second. Last time I read my Bible. Let me see. Hold on, hold on. Hold on a second. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I read it about three years ago. Seek first the kingdom of God. And everything you need. So as you're blowing the dust off your Bible and you're saying to me, yeah, I see God first, don't deceive yourself. God knows. God knows. God's not a liar. We are, we're liars. God's not a liar. If he says he'll meet your need, if you put him first, he means it. Joseph provided for him. Now watch this now. We've got to come to a close in a few moments, but watch this now, watch this now. This is some powerful stuff here. As Joseph and Jacob come together, Jacob settles into his new home and environment. And in chapter 48, verse 1, we discover that Jacob is sick and he's about to die. And Jacob does something. He requests something that's so significant. And in chapter 49, verses 29 to 30, I told you we had a long text. We read something about Jacob that sets him apart. He requests not to be buried in Egypt. Chapter 49, verse 29. And shortly after that, he dies, and Joseph closes his eyes as it was prophesied in chapter 46, verse 4. So, so now Jacob comes to Egypt, but he's sick. He gets sick so many years. And eventually he dies, but he makes a request. He doesn't want to be buried in Egypt, wants to be buried in Canaan. Very important, we understand that. God told Joseph in chapter 46, Joseph, you're going to be by your son, your father's bedside, and you're going to close his eyes. Imagine that. Imagine having a prophecy like that, and that's exactly what happened. His father dies, and he closes his eyes. Be sure of this. God's promises is yes. His word is yes. The Bible is filled with prophecy. You know why the Bible is filled with prophecy? Because it's the only book that's truly of God. No book outside of the Bible has prophecy. Did you know that? So all you Quran seekers... Get off that book and go to the right book. All your Vega seekers, get off these books and go to the real book. The Bible, the only true word of God. The only book that's inspired by the Holy Spirit. Prophetic words that all come to pass. There's not one prophecy that has not been fulfilled in the Bible. Not one. There are some that are yet to be fulfilled, but everything up till now has been fulfilled 
Now we await for one great prophecy, and that is the coming of the Lord. And my friends, if all the prophecies have been fulfilled, you can be sure that one's going to be fulfilled too. Just get ready. Just get ready. He's coming real soon. So the prophecies have been fulfilled, and in chapter 50, verses 4 and 5, all of his pain and grief as Jacob, the father of Joseph, has passed away. He's in tears. He goes to Pharaoh, chapter 50, verse 4 and 5. And look what it says. And when the days of his mourning were past, Joseph spake to the house of Pharaoh, saying, If now I have found grace in your eyes, speak, I pray you, in the ears of Pharaoh. Verse 5. My father made me swear, saying, Lo, I die in the grave which I have digged for me in the land of Canaan. There shall not thou bury me there. Therefore, let me go up, I pray thee, and bury my father. And I will come again. Please, Pharaoh. Please, Pharaoh. I, my daddy said to me, he doesn't want to be buried here. He wants to be buried in Canaan. There's a reason for that. Because, you see, Pharaoh, God spoke to my great-great-grandfather, Abraham, and and said that we would be in bondage for the Egyptians over 400 years, but then we would be released, and we would be transported, and we will end up in the promised land in Canaan. And my father wants to be buried back in Canaan. Please honor him. I ask you to give me favor. And that's exactly what Pharaoh did. He sent his servants and his family. Genesis chapter 50, verses 8 to 14. We see a funeral for royalty. Pharaoh gives a shepherd boy, a shepherd, a shepherd. Pharaoh gives a shepherd, Jacob, a funeral for royalty. Do you realize how incredible that is? And he even kept it from his subjects. Because if the people knew that, they would have freaked out. That's the favor of God who can do something in a man of God's life that sets him apart. God can do something in your life that is so incredible, so unbelievable. You're just going to scratch your eyes and scratch your head and say, how did this happen? I'll tell you how it happened. Because God made a way where there seems to be no way. That's how it happened. My God. In Exodus chapter 12, the Bible says, God gave favor to the Hebrews, that the Egyptians gave them their clothes and jewelry as they left Egypt to go on their way. <laughs> the Egyptians gave them their clothes. They, they were spitting on them a few moments ago. God turned it around. God can turn anything around because God is not a, a flesh. God is spirit. And in verse 3 of chapter 50, they mourned him for 40 days. The Egyptians, they mourned him. All the people observed this funeral and they said to themselves, who is this great man? This man, who? They didn't even know who he was. They were just following proper protocol that the, that the Pharaoh said, if only they knew that he wasn't an Egyptian, they would have been shocked if they knew they were shepherds. Here we see the grace of God. Philippians chapter 2 verse 13. Philippians chapter 2 verse 13. What is it? That God will, he worketh in us, he worketh in us, he worketh in us. There's the process, he worketh in us, worketh in, to do his will 
and to do his pleasure he worketh in us to work he works in us in process with his left hand and his right hand he's carving he's chiseling he's building he's forming he's working right? that his will be accomplished and that, it, that his pleasure that his glory will be seen in you and there's a process it's all about a process and it takes time these things don't happen overnight it's not about the product it's about the process oh the product will come if you hang on and you trust him the product will come but he's concerned about the process process and they mourned him and what's important to understand my friends is that Joseph loved his father and he wanted to please him let me ask you oh Christian brother and friend modern day Joseph I'm speaking to you sir on YouTube Facebook can I ask you a question as Joseph lived to please his father do you please your heavenly father, my friend? Oh, of course I do. Oh, really? I, I, I'm not sure we're living in a generation not of God-pleasers, of man-pleasers. We live in a generation of being politically correct. So, so we don't want to offend people. I don't want to offend you. So, so since I don't want to offend you, I, I have no problem offending God. But, but, but I don't want to offend you. So I compromise and I'll do whatever society says. And I'll do whatever you want me to do. Where, where are those that will take a stand like that 16-year-old kid in one of the high schools where he took a stand against all the establishment, against this woke nonsense, this woke garbage this 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 political natural mindset this godless mindset where we think it's okay for drag queens to come in and teach our children about life how dare bring to teach my children and we got no problem we don't want to offend anybody so let them come in who's gonna take a stand against this garbage against an attack of what the family why do you think these drag queens are so desirous to talk to our children they go into the libraries they want to talk to the children they go into the schools they want to talk to the children what do you want to talk to the children for because the children the future the family do you see Who do you want to please? Paul said in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, we didn't come to you as man-pleasers, but flattering words. We came to you with God's word. I didn't come to you to flatter you to get your approval or to get the society's approval. I came to you with the word of God. And whether the world rejects me or accepts me, I don't care. Because I want to please God. Mr. Modern Joseph, is that your cry today? Is that your desire today? True story of a young boy who played football. He loved football. He played for Notre Dame. This is a true story. But he wasn't a good football player. His coach never played him. In fact, he became like a water boy. But they kept him on because he was a good guy. 
He was a terrible football player, but they kept him on because he's a good guy. I'll say that again. Well, they were practicing one day, and he was on the field. And the coach received a telegram. Back in those days, they didn't have emails and telegrams. Anybody know what a telegram is? For some of you, uh, yeah, yeah, so it's only the boomers that can uh, telegram. What telegram? What's that? Uh, I, I, I won't take hours to explain for some of you uh, young ones there. You probably and, and the telegram was read by the coach, and he couldn't believe it. He called, he called this young man. We'll call him Steve. Steve, I got some bad news. I just got a telegram. Your father has passed away. Oh. I said, okay, coach, you mind? I, obviously, I need some time off. He said, of course, of course, take some time off. He comes back after three weeks. There was a football game that day. And uh, this man, who never played, said, coach, do you think I can play today? The coach felt bad. He says, yeah, absolutely, you can play. He thought for sure it would be a big disaster. The coach was mesmerized, was in shock. This boy played better than his star. He couldn't believe it at the end of the game. He was the first star. Could not believe what, what? He asked him, what happened? They call him Steve. Steve, what did you do? What, 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 I can't believe you. He says, yeah, coach, yeah, thank you. I, I'll tell you what it is. You, you, you know, you know I'm a Christian, right? He says, yeah, yeah, I know that. He says, you know, my father's a Christian. Yeah, yeah. No problem. Tell me why you play good. I don't tell me you're Christian. Why you play good? He says, well, you know, my father was blind. He had disease from his youth. He, he couldn't, couldn't see. And that's why he never came to, to watch the games. And uh, today, coach, was the first day my dad, who's in heaven, was able to see me play. And I didn't want to disappoint him. And I played my heart out to please him. That's why. Coach was really moved by that. I must ask you, my friend, how do you play? Do you play to please God? To honor God. See, if you live that way, your life will change. Everything will change. How you live behind closed doors, when nobody's looking, or where you are facing your boss face to face, it won't matter because you're living to please God. And so Jacob ends up being buried in Canaan and also Joseph. Joseph, his son, wanted to be buried in Canaan. That was his desire as well. And in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 21 to 22, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 21 and 22, we see something about Joseph and his father Jacob that set him apart. I want you to see something so powerful here. You can tell a lot about a person as he dies. Look what it says here. Look what it says. By faith, okay, sorry. Uh, by faith, Jacob, verse 21, 
When he was dying, blessed both sons Joseph and worship leaning upon the top of his staff. By faith Joseph, when he died, made mention of the departing of the children of Israel and gave commandment concerning his bones. Joseph gave a commandment of his bones. In chapter 50, verse 2 and 5, we see something powerful. Joseph says the same thing as father. He says, he says, when I die, bring my bones into Canaan. Bring my bones into the promised land. You see, in Genesis 15, there was that promise that it will happen, and they believed it. And against all odds, they took that step to get ready to be a part of that prophecy, to be a part of that reality, that they were going to the promised land. And Joseph and Jacob wanted them to be ready, to be ready for that moment moment well they'll be taken into the promised land that's what they did they would take their bones and that's exactly what happened because they believed God they believed God about the promised land they believed God about the promised land what is the promised land the promised land is a picture of heaven my friend Christian brother and friend of mine listen to me carefully do you believe the promise that Jesus is coming again do you believe it's going to come and take us into our promised land into the by and by the sweet by and by my friend Jesus promises that if you believe in him and trust in him that he will take you and he said in John 14 he said I go to prepare a place for you if it was not so I wouldn't have told you but I'm going to prepare a place and if I told you this I'm coming back to receive you do you believe he's coming back to receive you to take you into the promised land to take you into the land flowing with milk and honey well if you do then you're going to live in a way that pleases him as Joseph my modern day Joseph friend that's what he did that's what sets us apart what a story and what do we see God's priority for the family as my title said families can never be replaced God's priority for the family the Bible says if we don't provide for our family we are worse than pagans it is a story of a family who made it through the impossible through the valley of dysfunction into the valley of function from dysfunction to function God can do anything oh yes the family the core of God's heart I'm just so moved that I had a baby dedication today and that this was my message can you believe that isn't God amazing isn't God amazing? What does the Bible say? To honor your mother and your father. Exodus chapter 20, verse 11, I believe. And you'll be having a promise of long life. My brothers and my sisters, you honor your mother and father, you're going to live a long time. This is God's desire. It's the commandment of the Lord to honor your parents, to honor family. Oh, my friend. When I saw my mother on her deathbed, it was hard. My blessed mother who took care of me, so she did things for me, I can't even describe you. I never saw the significance of honoring your mother and father more so than just recently. There were times I took my mother for granted. Sometimes we take our parents for granted. When I saw my mother lay dying in that deathbed, I recalled all the things. 
how good she was and what she did, how she provided for her family the best way she could. If it wasn't for my mother, I'd, I don't think I would even have these principles. And my father as well, both of them. I had great parents. I'm not sure if I'm a great parent, but I'll tell you something. My parents' example is what certainly sparked in me a desire to be a good parent, a good father, a good husband. What a story. But there's one more thing, and I, I, I can't close without one more thing. Please, just hold on. One more thing, so important. What do we learn about this story aside from God's priority? How life and the years pass by so quickly? What did Jacob say to Pharaoh when he asked him, how old are you? Oh, they're just 130. That was, that was that, not that long. I know it's long now, but not back then. But my years were evil and just few. What Jacob is saying, oh my goodness. I have a regret, Pharaoh. I wish, I wish I would have spent more time with my family. I wish, I wish I would have focused more on my family than myself. You know, you don't know that, Pharaoh, but I lived for myself most of my life. I wish I had a better relationship with my kids and my family. I neglected them. That's my regret. It was Billy Graham's regret, by the way. They asked him at the end of his life, more or less, did you have any regrets in ministry? He says, no, just one. I didn't spend enough time with my family. I didn't spend, this is Billy Graham. Look, you may be saying the same thing today. Oh, how the years have quickly passed by and before you know it, you're in the twilight of your life and you find yourself in some kind of distress. My friends, nobody thinks about making money on your deathbed. Nobody thinks of making money on their deathbed. When Jacob was dying, he never said, oh, Joseph, make sure this money goes well, then this goes. Nobody. I've done a lot of hospital visitations over the last 45 years, and I can tell you I've seen a lot of elderly on their deathbed dying. Not once have I heard somebody dying say to me on their deathbed, Oh, pastor, I wish I spent more time making money. Not once. But I heard them say, I wish I had a better relationship with my wife. I wish I went to church more. I wish I prayed more. I wish I loved my family more. Yeah, I've heard that. Because that's what matters. That's what matters. That's what matters. And I don't want to look back one day and have regrets. Like I didn't spend time with my family. I need to focus on my family. I bless my family because that's 
as my title says, the one thing that cannot be replaced. That's why Joseph took his family to Goshen to draw, uh, to draw near to the family and to draw near to God. Because if you don't have God, you won't have family. True family. Let's all stand together, please. song draw me close to you is a song of Goshen draw me close to you never let me go before we sing this I need to talk to the family today we have mothers and fathers in this house grandmothers grandfathers we have sons and daughters I want to pray for the family today. I want to pray for a Goshen experience today. The Goshen experience of drawing near to God and drawing near to your family. That's what Goshen is. I want to challenge and I want to speak to every family in this house. Every family in this house. Because every family needs a Goshen. Every family needs prayer. Every family needs to draw closer. And so, my friend, you cannot say, well, pastor, this message is not for me. You'll be deceiving yourself and lying to yourself. I want to ask every father and mother, every son and daughter, if you are here and your family is with you in some capacity, in other words, if you're a mother and your son's here, if you're a daughter and your mother's here, if you're a father and mother and your children are here, if you're an uncle or an aunt and your nephew niece are here, if you're about to get married, that's a family. You know what family is. If you have a, a family member with you, in other words, if you're just here by yourself, this does not apply to you. It applies to you in the spirit, but not physically. If you are here and there's somebody in your family that's with you, I'm speaking to you today. On Facebook, on YouTube, and I'm challenging you. I'm challenging you to discover a fresh new Goshen. Because that's what we need today more than ever is a Goshen experience. And I'm going to invite you to come to the altar you see, Joseph invited them to come to Egypt. In that context, that was the place of God's blessing. The altar is a place of God's blessing. The place where we meet with God. The altar is Goshen. I'm going to invite you to Goshen, right here. This is Goshen. I'm going to invite you to come to Goshen. With your families. And I've already instructed the board members and the staff members to pray for you. 
I'll be praying. And I just want you to draw near to God. That's all. I just want you to, we're not going to make anything. We're just going to pray. And we're going to consecrate our family. Just like we consecrated my grandchildren today. How apropos is that? I just get how incredible God is the architect. I want to be able to consecrate and to dedicate your family to God. Do you see the parallels? How incredible is that? On this great day. So we're going to sing this chorus once. Then I'm going to invite family members to come. I know it's going to be crowded. But just make yourself at the aisle. That's fine. But I want to pray for every family today. Be close to you. Yes, Lord. Give us that Goshen. As we are singing, maybe we can make ourselves up. It's okay. We can just come to the altar. Why don't you come to Goshen? I want people coming from all over this place. Just come to Goshen. We're drawing close to God. We're saying, God, I need you. We're drawing close to you. Let's just come from all over the place. This is between you and God. This is your family. This is your family. This is the way you cannot replace your family. You cannot replace your family. Can't take the place. You can't take that place. My God. Sing it now. Oh my God. Make it a prayer. 